I kind of got emotional because like I spent a lot of time on Clarence and getting to know him and his family. So it's been kind of like, I don't know, like I, I, I kind of know him, like he's a part of my family. So kind of got emotional now I'm talking about it, but it's pretty cool. So I like have a memento of my time with Clarence. Oh, definitely. I, I teach civics. So this would be something that they would truly like get into because it's hands-on and something they can actually see and take away. Oh my gosh, they would love this. I don't know if they would feel as emotional as I do right now, but I do think they would have so much fun with this. Anytime they can do something hands-on, it just makes it so much more meaningful for them to connect, makes the learning real. Uh, so I know they would just love to do this. The kids are always so careful with this, and it's just really cute to see them oh, work I can together. See them going crazy with this. Yeah, and I like know. you tell them like, okay, feel the letters, and it really gets them like tactily connected to what they're working on, which I think you guys will experience in a minute. It'll be like a moment where you've been with your veterans. You're like, this is unconnected. Perfect. And don't forget, you've got your backs too, so if you've got a spouse, they're on the back and you've got a number. Most of the time on the back, they're legible. Sometimes they're a little warm, but that's where you'll find oh, them. to put the number on the other side. Awesome. Yes. Let's do Ready? this. Come and gather your supplies. Wow, what an right amazing activity. Now, this okay. one my kids will get into. Yeah, this one's a really popular one. The this, older this ones could do this too, though. Yeah, and this is good for it's good for any age, really. They can all handle it to some level. Even if you have to right, even the, if you had two kids, fabric, you could have one, two ones. kids work and you do half and of it. And that's what we did with the fourth before is we had them preset and then they yeah, went in teams and they worked yeah. together. Okay, I was first. thinking about that so and, they don't have to. But it still do was a good, you know, a good ten minute activity. I guess what's most surprising is I'm feeling very emotional. It's a different type of connection than I've had thus far. It feels very real and I hope that he's appreciating the presence and that I'm doing a good job on this. What you just heard were sound bites from the headstone rubbing activity the teachers did on their veteran graves at St. Augustine National Cemetery. As you could tell, this exercise was incredibly impactful and emotional for the teachers, and you'll listen and learn more about it later in this episode. At this point in the series, you have heard seven teachers ranging from second grade to 11th grade profoundly reflect on their experience at the Institute, from their veteran bios, to their mini tours, to their lesson plans, to even how rewarding it has been to collaborate with other educators in the pursuit to memorialize veterans and improve their craft. All the momentum we've built up in the past five episodes has led us to this climactic moment, the meta field trip on day eight out of 10 of the Institute. This experience differed from the other times the teachers explored St. Augustine National Cemetery whether alone or with a UCF VLP team member. Those were baseline assessments, early in the Institute to get a sense of the work they would be doing. However, this meta field trip on day eight was the cumulative final exam, the culmination of the work that has been done, realized in front of their eyes. To be clear, the work was not finished at this moment. Rather, the teachers were able to truly appreciate and even better understand their work in the context of the National Cemetery experience because they have been engaging with their mini tours, with their lesson plans, and more importantly, the nexus of this entire operation with their veterans. So when they participated in these field trip activities, for example, rubbing the headstones, they connected with their veteran and their work in a completely surreal and transformative way that would not have been possible if they hadn't been vehemently putting in that work from before. Therefore, this meta field trip took all the separate components the teachers have been working on for over a week 
and converge them into this holistic, all-encompassing experience. Just as impactful of this meta field trip is the pedagogical element to it. It's why the label meta is put in front of field trip. If you recall from the prologue episode of the series, since UCF VOP's inception in 2017, they have created and given a field trip in a VA NCA National Cemetery for Florida K-12 students. UCF VOP is still making these field trips to a national cemetery for K-12 students, as they did one earlier this year in March. However, the difference between those field trips and the one you are about to partake in was that this field trip was given with the primary objective to show how to give it, hence the meta label. The teachers occupied a dual role in this enterprise. Rather than just being passive receivers of the action, they were also challenged by the UCF VOP team to actively engage with the pedagogy behind constructing such an experience for students. Being both recipients and participants of this field trip empowers them to be exceptional tour guides when they take their students to a national cemetery because they've experienced both sides of that pedagogical coin, student and teacher. This meta field trip, more than anything, ultimately embodied the educational spirit of the Institute. The UCF VOP team finally emerged from the shadows and was at the forefront of this episode. You will hear the best practitioners of this subject matter brilliantly showcase their knowledge, wit, creativity, and prowess on how to give a field trip at a national cemetery. They will explain the what, the how, and the decisions it takes to construct and then guide an engrossing educational field trip experience at a national cemetery for K-12 students. By immersing yourself in what goes on behind the academic curtain, you will hopefully join the teachers in getting an authentic understanding and appreciation of this subject. Lastly, to add another layer of uniqueness to this episode, I recorded the field trip live as it was happening, allowing you, as the listeners, to get an authentic capture of what was going on, from the content that was being given, to the genuine camaraderie that was displayed by the teachers, to even the beautiful soundscapes you hear when you're at a national cemetery. This meta field trip experience had several dynamic and revolving components to it. Thus, piecing the raw recordings together without context would produce a rather confusing episode, and more importantly, would severely undercut the significance of such a metamorphic event that took place at the climax of the Institute. Therefore, I will narrate and act as your own personal tour guide in looking at this meta field trip. Yes, that's very meta. Remember when I said in the prologue that you will be transported to St. Augustine, Florida? specifically to a national cemetery? Well, we are officially here. So get your water, your hat, your shades, your sunscreen, and maybe even a tissue box for your tears because you are definitely in for a one-of-a-kind episode. From the UCF Department of History and UCF's Veterans Legacy Program, I'm Sebastian Garcia, and this is Episode 6 of the 2023 UCF VOP Institute Podcast Series. I hope he's appreciating the presence. Now that we've been transported, let's talk about the logistics of the actual field trip. The field trip took place the morning of June 14, 2023, day 8 out of 10 of the Institute. The field trip was divided into two one-hour halves, each containing two stations. The K-12 teachers were also divided into two groups, with one of them assigned as the guide of the group carrying a flag of one of the armed services to differentiate between the groups. Group 1 had the Army flag, and Group 2 carried the Marine Corps flag. If you're betting that Sergeant Major Ray Fuller was the guide of Group 2, proudly holding that Marine Corps flag, you might just be onto something. All jokes aside, Dr. Amelia Lyons, 
an associate professor of history at UCF and the director slash main PI of UCF's Veterans Legacy Program, who you also heard in the prologue, explained the pedagogical importance behind these and other flags at a National Cemetery field trip. As you know, you've been broken into groups and your group is led by someone with a, a flag of one of the services. That's an excellent way to keep everybody organized and allow, right, follow the leader. We have here one of each of the six branches. These are great for younger grades to talk about and learn, right, what each branch flag looks like. And so you can do this in the classroom setting or you can do it out here in the cemetery. We also have purchased American flags and we've used them to mark certain graves that we're gonna use during the field trip in advance so that everything is ready to go. In her opening remarks to the Meta Field Trip, Dr. Lyons emphasized student behavior, specifically some of the do's and don'ts that the teachers should outline to their students at the beginning of a National Cemetery Field Trip. Behave in a cemetery, right? We talk about quiet, we talk about not sitting on or putting your foot on a headstone. We talk about no horseplay, right? We talk to the students about how to comport yourself in this setting. We explain that they may walk on the grass because that's how we visit the cemetery, but that we do not right, do anything disrespectful in the cemetery, um, and we take a great deal of care with all of the headstones and monuments that are in the cemetery. A key way to minimize student misconduct at a national cemetery is by setting the tone early, right at the beginning of the field trip so the students can understand the gravity of the place that they just entered. Dr. Lyons gave some helpful suggestions on how to set that tone. There are a number of things you can also do at the start of a field trip that I think help to set that tone. If you know a JROTC group that you could bring a color guard with you on your field trip, that would be an excellent way to bring in and start right a cemetery visit because you would have your own mini ceremony. Uh, if you can't do that, we have on occasion at these field trips also been able to bring someone who plays taps, which is an excellent way to set the tone at a cemetery, to be able to explain taps and hear it, right? You could also play it on a recording of it if you chose to do so at the cemetery. Anne McKay, whom you met in last week's episode, added a keen suggestion to Dr. Lyons' list, an early example of the teachers actively engaging with the pedagogy behind designing such an experience for students. So you could just do the pledge. You could do the Pledge of Allegiance. That's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely, because the students know it, and it's a great way. It's what they're used to to start the day yes. anyway, so I think that's a really lovely gesture to have them. You can do a moment of silence. We always do a moment of silence because it also helps to center the kids get them to think about being quiet. Final suggestions before dispersing to the groups in the corresponding stations were to know where to have a starting point, use that spot to reconvene when necessary, and explain the spot's significance since almost all the structures in a national cemetery have a historic or unique importance to them. For our context in St. Augustine, Dr. Lyons used the example of the characteristic coquina, which you also know from the first episode of this series, a very historic property, in one of the buildings within the cemetery to illustrate the point. The wall there is also coquina, so you can talk to them about, right, the, the
kind of architectural details that you would find specifically at this national cemetery. But all nine of the national cemeteries in Florida will have an area like this where you could begin a field trip, right? If you're in group one, follow your leader when the leader is ready. And group two, follow your leader when your leader is ready. Group two. Make sure you have some water on you. Go left, go left. Yeah. As you clearly heard, Sergeant Major Ray Fullard was ready to lead his group with that Marine Corps flag. So, you won the bet. Now that we've covered some of the basic preliminaries, let's match Sergeant Major's energy and head into our first station of this meta field trip, Native American Experience in Ledger Art with Dr. Amy Giroux. Dr. Amy Giroux is an associate director of the Center for Humanities and Digital Research, the entity that maintains UCF-VOP's website, at the University of Central Florida. She's also one of the principal investigators and the main technical lead of UCF-VOP. She primarily focuses on cemetery research. Her incredibly unique application of history, technology, and genealogy has recently produced groundbreaking research on previously unknown Native American prisoner of war graves at St. Augustine National Cemetery. Throughout the Institute, she has guided the K-12 teachers via several genealogy workshops on the processes behind researching deceased individuals at national cemeteries by relaying her own experience and shrewd knowledge of the subject. However, this time, we are outside the workshops and in her research ballpark, literally. She began the station with some practical pedagogical advice. She then gave a mini-history lesson associated with this part of this field trip the art drawn by Native Americans in prison in St. Augustine in 1875. But while telling the story, she intuitively interjected pedagogical commentary so that the teachers are not just learning the content, but how to give the content. Already in this first station, that dual role the K-12 teachers occupied in this entire experience, being recipients of the knowledge and active participants of the pedagogy, was starting to form. The kids like visuals. Um, I find that they'd rather look at something than look at me while I'm talking. So I try to tell the story through visuals with them. Um, since I do a lot of different things, I also have my PowerPoint notes on the back so that I stay on target since we're you know, within a certain amount of time frame. I go ahead and semi-script it out so that I make sure that I hit all the points that I want to with the students. So in 1875, in what was Indian Territory out here, this is present-day Oklahoma, um, the Army captured 72 Native American chiefs, warriors, and prominent men and sent them here to St. Augustine for three years. The tribes were Cheyenne, Arapaho, Kiowa, Comanche, and Caddo. And also, along with the prisoners, um, Black Horse, who was a Comanche chief, his wife and nine-year-old daughter, whose name was Aki, came here to St. Augustine with him. Aki was nine years old, like some of y'all. Um, and most at that time, the kids pop up and go, I'm 10, you know, <laughs> you, you get that kind of feedback from them. So the, the men were taken from uh, Caddo, which is a town down in um, Oklahoma. They were taken by wagon over to uh, Fort Sill. Um, so they were imprisoned in wagons. The trains they took up to uh, Kansas, across the country to Indianapolis, and then down into Florida. So the Indians drew painted artwork on buffalo hides before they had paper. 
and the Indians who were imprisoned here at St. Augustine drew and colored on what was called ledger book paper. Now, um, prior to the students coming here, they watch a seven and a half minute video that I created with two of the tribal members. So the Native Americans made pictures of their history. It wasn't just um, what happened to them here, it was their entire history. So they, the travel that they came here on train and on wagons, um, there's a saying in the tribes out there that if you cross four rivers, you'll never go home again. They crossed many more than four rivers to come to Florida and 10 of them never went home again. So this drawing is by one of the Indian artists and it shows them coming by wagon into Caddo. Um, this was you, the prisoners themselves. You can see them drawn in the wagons. You can see the train in the background of this. Um, and these trains would, you know, again, bring them here to Florida. They were kept in the fort just up the road from here. And these students will either have seen the fort already or they're going to see the fort already. So I explain, you know, how many of you seen the fort? Um, and I get some discussion going there. Then I talk about the fact that they drew about their lives back home, the ceremonies they had, and the importance of the buffalo. Um, the buffalo for them provided food, it provided clothing, and it provided shelter. Um, and then I talk about the fact that the army, to force them onto the um, reservations, slaughtered the buffalo. You'll see these photographs of skulls of buffaloes 50, 60 feet high. They decided to just eradicate the buffalo and that would essentially starve the tribes out and make them uh, more amenable to going on the reservations. And then I show an example of what the kids will do and what y'all will get to do. So what we're going to do now is move over in the shade and um, I want y'all to think about the story that I talked about today and draw some of the representations of the items and things that you heard in the story on your own ledger art and y'all get to take these home with you. So if we move over into the... Before the teachers began employing their artistic talents, Dr. Drew closed with valuable and practical pedagogical advice, as she did to open her station. I have one with the names of the prisoners, um, their anglicized names for some of them, and then a few that they it's spelled out phonetically so the kids could say them. Okay. And I have a list of all ten of them that I stick near heap of birds. Okay. Um, one of the things we'll do later, um, allow the kids to come around and honor whoever they wanted to, and they came to there and read the names off the off the board. So yes. So if you're doing something similar to this, you know, just think about the, the ground itself. I didn't want them sitting in the grass because of the chemicals they spray on this stuff to keep the grass green. Um, so we kept them all on the sidewalks in groups of three or four. It depended on how many students I had at the time. And then we put um, solo cups, plastic solo cups in the middle with the markers and then they just had at it. We also had um, roaming artist uh, <laughs> holders. So the, the kids asked, I don't remember what a buffalo looks like. Um, so we shared the, you know, we carried these around as the students did their drawings so that it could help trigger stuff. So please pull up a, pull up a mar set of markers and a bag. And um, if you want examples of the art, we can show you those. As the teachers were doing the interactive exercise that Dr. Giroux assigned, 
they began brainstorming ideas on how to apply this portion of the field trip for their specific classroom instruction and students. It would be awesome. Okay. But I also I think, think maybe for the kids who aren't like me, maybe this might be too intimidating. So maybe some of them can get postcards and they can do a smaller. Well, we, we give them postcards with yeah, like, the so drawings. No, so draw. they can make it. So oh. they can draw their own like. Oh, draw their own postcards? Yeah, kids, I mean, mm -hmm. okay, they got get it. really yeah. into themselves about not being able to draw and it to where they shut down. So yeah, if you give them something smaller, mm -hmm. that might make it easier for them to do. Mm -hmm. They'll try it. And even it would allow them to use crayons, which is a medium that the younger kids are used to using as opposed to markers and permanent markers because kids get like in their minds, oh, crayons can be erased. We do this all the time. But permanent markers so permanent, it stresses them out sometimes. Okay. But it looks like they're riding side saddle. Or is the red their And as they did with other aspects of the institute, the teachers had some fun with it. I'm a good copier. Because I can Me too. That's what I did for the bag. Hey, there you go. Excellent. You already done? Let me see yours. Well, oh, you had your horse. And that would well, be the end of my artistic ability. There you go. <laughs> cool. This is so fun. You did, see, you did all of, I was struggling with a train, and you didn't did a whole. Well, no, I just copied. Aww. Nothing's original. Allie the Gator. Let's head over to the other station that was part of this first half of the Meta Field Trip. African-American World War I vets with Dr. Barbara Gannon. Dr. Barbara Gannon is a full professor of history at the University of Central Florida. Besides being one of the principal investigators of UCF DOP, she's also the coordinator of UCF's Community Veterans History Project, the HP, an oral history program that features veterans in Central Florida. She's also an Army veteran herself. Her research focuses on veterans history, military history, Civil War memory, and African American history. Combining her academic training as an historian and her personal experience as a veteran, has enabled her to give powerful pedagogical instruction to the K-12 teachers throughout the Institute. Dr. Gannon ensures that the veteran is always at the heart of her teaching, whether they made the ultimate sacrifice or returned home after service. This mentality is apparent in the workshop she gave during the Institute, titled Oral History 101, How Living Veterans Help Us Tell the Stories of the Dead, and Underrepresented Americans, How Veterans' History Illuminates Their Lives. In this station about African-American World War I veterans, the teacher saw one application of combining all the deliverables, the veteran bio, the mini tour, the lesson plan, into a singular, synergistic experience. She began her future portion strictly focused on content, specifically tailoring her mini history lesson on two African-American combat divisions, the 92nd and 93rd regiments. This, however, is a combat picture of the 92nd division on its way to the front. <laughs> There were two combat divisions, the 92nd and the 93rd. The 92nd served as an American division and fought in the Meuse-Argonne. The 93rd got there early and General Pershing wanted to help out the French. So he said, you can have these regiments of African-American soldiers uh, because they were demanding some kind of help. And actually they were quite pleased because the French had dealt and had combat forces that were African. So they were used to African Americans fighting. 
And they did, to say that the 93rd Division regiments did very well is the understatement of the century. They received numerous medals, mostly French, some American medals. Entire units received Croix de Guerres. They uh, were the hardest fighting regiments, the most famous of which is the Harlem Hellfighters from New York. But there were Americans from South Carolina and Illinois and Ohio and all of the other places in these regiments. The Harlem Hellfighters had the best press. More than a century later, these Harlem Hellfighters still shock people with their impact. Just listen for yourself. This is the coming home. They had a huge parade in New York, huge for the Harlem Hellfighters. It was their, they had been their National Guard, their Black National Guard unit, and they were welcomed home in a scene unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And you didn't see that a lot. You didn't see that, and you saw it in some places. The combat units were welcomed back in Ohio and other places where they had served. But this is the New York, which was a tremendous um, welcoming by all New Yorkers. She continued her mini history lesson with the stark realities these and other African-American veterans experienced once the homecoming celebrations were over. Again, reminding us of who is at the heart of these stories. Now, the key here, though, is that as because they are veterans, there are many challenges, and we talked about the Red Summer, but they still received veterans' benefits, including hospitalization, burial, and many African Americans, though some did poorly, some became postmen. They had uh, priority for federal jobs. And so it was its usual mixed bag. At this point in her instruction, Dr. Gannon made a sharp pivot from content to how to teach said content, specifically in suggesting a method to incorporate the veteran bio into the field trip with their students. We have little bios or sources, either more elaborate bios and sources or small bios of every African-American World War I veteran that we identified. In this cemetery. In this cemetery. So yes, you can go and you can see all the primary sources. Your students can use them if you want to do this and maybe they could become familiar with some of the people and find them when they come here. They're a little difficult to read because of the passage of time. So usually what we do is sometimes we do some kind of where we, um, for example, now that we have found the picture, we might bring them over to Jason's, or we might say this section here is quite a few African-Americans, and we introduce them and tell them about their lives. Since we were now in complete pedagogical mode, the teachers began to think critically about how they would apply this portion of the field trip to their students. Dr. Gannon elevated the energy further as she continued to give tremendously helpful and concrete suggestions, such as ways to incorporate essential vocabulary terms, other materials that can be given, like handouts to enhance the overall learning experience of the field trip for the students, and arguably the most critical suggestion, tailoring it to your specific audience. Or, as Dr. Gannon succinctly said, the who. Okay, I know she said like when you set up, I'm thinking like she was saying ahead, like if, because some of these are hard to read or whatever, would it be like wrong to like have like a small... A flag store? with maybe the name on them. Yeah. We didn't do that because this tends to be more of a collective biography. But if you have more time, and I knew we had, we knew what we had. If we had more time, I would say, and here is, and I know these people, we have their biographies, even a short one done for all of them. Right, if it was like certain ones, we wanted I say, to well, like, meet, like he was in the 92nd, or he was in the 807th Pioneer, or he was in the Quartermaster. 
and you can walk around and show and use them as examples. Okay. And so yes, that's what we would do. Okay. Now, I think another thing that's important is that we also give out handouts on things like, we have this generic handout, which is like, I think it might be actually, I don't, I don't, we did, we didn't end up doing a World War One tour, but we have a World War One mini tour where we have like, what is a division? What's a battalion? Oh, what's a company cool. and how many people in it? What are the terms that are important for World War One? And actually we gave out, we usually get a bag like that and we put the postcards in there and the key terms. And so the kids, when they come, they get them and they're for all the tours we're doing. So there might be an example of what uh, Dr. Giroux is doing, ledger art, whatever you decide to do, you load up so they have their little bags with everything they need, including yeah, I mean, terms that they can look at. Sometimes I even invented a quiz or something. Well, whatever you can do for it depends on, again, it's the who. You know, what do you think they need to know? Well, I think it'd be really cool, something just popped in my mind, um, to do like, um, with our mini tour, maybe the last sheet in the teacher notes be like a tell your parents page, where we can put key facts, where you can print it out and send it home with them. Because I tell my students whenever, they learn something yeah, new, your tell your parents, but I've never thought about sending something home. But I think that would be kind of cool. And the pedagogical gears were in full motion. A truly remarkable display of educators across all levels bouncing off ideas from one another. You could also, since you said you'd give like the little vocabulary, that could be pre-work. Like you kind yeah, of yeah. preview that and then mm, that kind yeah. of be like a, because kids get antsy after standing for a while. Like, hey, okay, that's. What is a division? How many are they? Like, just yeah. to keep it kind of interactive. Another thing, having them, like, I know sometimes, like, studying, like, you know, Native Americans or different, you know, the kids sometimes with that are like their eyes get glazed over. But if they had a connection with a specific one in a specific group, I'm wondering if that would make, you know what I'm saying? Like, would make it more interesting? Well, if you like, for example, one of the things I have, and I did this in the centennial, no one really cared about the centennial World War I in Florida, which was unfortunate. But one of the things one of my teams is, is I have a name of the service cars from everyone who came from Florida to World War I. And with it, I have their names and from every town, and I have all the African Americans isolated. Gotcha. So you can say, if you're from Ocala or Jacksonville or Tampa, I can find you the African Americans who served there. In Orlando, we took the black neighborhood Paramore and we actually mapped where all oh, the people were from. That's cool. That's cool. So yes. So there's that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if the kids actually, like even individually, if they have somebody that's their person, that might make well, it more. They, they have the mini bio, so maybe you can assign the kids yeah. one of the mini like, bio. But you know what I mean? Then they mm -hmm. have that connection, kind of like when you're like, thank oh, you. Thank you. Like, oh, that's. We've reached halftime of our field trip, but don't worry. That fervent energy you just heard did not diminish whatsoever. During this halftime break, we reconvene at our initial starting point, where Dr. Lyons introduced the Meta Field Trip. This time, she challenged the teachers to reflect on the first two stations of the Meta Field Trip. Before the reflection started, she opened the discussion with a very practical recommendation. Before we do the second round, to uh, give you a chance to come and get water or Gatorade. Water. 
right? The practical side of this and thinking about your field trip and that, you know, hydration and hydration of your students is critical. You don't want anyone dropping. So even if they all have to bring water with them, there should be more water on site. Um, and I also wanted to see if you have any reflections or thoughts about your first round of visit, the first two stations that you did. Kristen Riley, featured in episode three of this series, even with the younger ones, initiated the conversation by being the first to give her thoughts on the experience thus far, of course, with the younger ones in mind. I thought that the ledger art was really applicable mm -hmm. to the young grades. Um, it's not as heavy of a topic per se. It can be super friendly because there's coloring and drawing and of course we're going to tell them the reason but with the younger grades you have to like really step on eggshells with that. So I think this is really applicable that they can be like oh this is what the Native Americans did now I'm doing the same thing. Absolutely that you know that is the goal right. Alicia Bryant who by now you have heard several times throughout this episode intensely engaging with the pedagogy behind the field trip responded to Kristen's idea by proposing a creative solution for students who would be unable to go to the National Cemetery physically, but still want to get that field trip experience. But that's another layer you can, if, if you can't come, right. to connect it to another part of their day or their class, yeah. is to, okay, we're gonna talk about mm -hmm. the eggshell stuff and then yeah. they can actually do that in art class. Yeah. And then maybe in music class, maybe you can find us, you know, appropriate song or something yeah. to, you can connect a whole day out of it, and even though they can't come here, they can still have the experience. Right, and if you come here, you could even have them do the ledger art bags at school the night before, and then that's what they put their stuff in all day. Because it's not heavy, they can put a water bottle and some snacks in it and carry it around. And I also like the fact, because they're young, they can get on the ground and eat their food and drink that, and, and that's like a traditional thing that you know Native American would do they can do it as well to be respectful. Alicia furthered the conversation by asking a logistical question to Dr. Lines. How long do you usually do the field trip out here for the fourth graders? How so long does it, it take? Well, we've done it for different grades. We've done it um, for fourth grade, we've done it for seventh grade, and we did a homeschool group. Um, so we've done it for different levels. Um, and it depends on what's going on with the school. The shortest we've done is twice one hour with the different, so the, the group had four classes. We had two classes first thing in the morning, and then about an hour later, as they moved through their other things, we had the second. And that's where one of the tour companies organized it, but we were one of the stops, right? Um, and so that, that worked really well. In others, we've had it where it's been much longer, and so they do rotations outside and rotations in the barracks, and then lunch in the barracks. And then they go and do their other things. So the, the temperature is easier. Ah, yes. Avoiding that treacherous Florida heat at all costs is always sound advice. Dr. Lyons opened the floor one final time during this halftime break for any teacher who wished to share their thoughts on the first two stations. Anne McKay, who you just heard talking about how the younger students can sit on the ground when eating their food to pay homage to the Native American tradition, responded first and expressed her honest thoughts, as she did in last week's episode. I was thinking about um, Dr. Gannon's um, presentation. Yes. If you did some upfront work, you could have the kids be the present and do yes. the whole thing with uh, yes. with a cheat sheet on the back, and you know make them feel comfortable, and they would be responsible for each one of those slides. And that way, you're not getting the 
miss a board, <laughs> you know, they would have they would be responsible for a part of that presentation. That's a brilliant That's idea. idea. Well, also, you know what they do in some places? You would um, they would adopt a grade, and they would know the bio, of the person. If everyone, yes, that was kind of what I was saying. Yeah. That's what exactly what I was getting at. No. Because they could be, we have enough, they could pick some people and they could do um, where they stand and they say, this is Jason Waitman, yes. who served in the 807th, you know, blah, blah, blah. What they did was, and they could research it and just talk about their veteran. Right, that's like what we were talking about, adopt a vet. Um, yes. Each person would respond at the beginning of the year and they could do research the whole year so that when you got to the field trip, they would have enough background knowledge so that they would know where they were and some stuff about them and each one of those would be responsible for giving a presentation to the rest of the class. That would keep them in line because they would have to be responsible and it for would themselves. give them skills. Well, that's right. true. You know, the, the pedagogical side of it. They are doing presentations, they're learning, they're figuring out how to do it, and they're presenting in front of their peers, which are great skills, always great skills. Dr. Lyons closed the break by previewing the content and the pedagogy of the next two stations in the final half of the Meta Field Trip. Our next set are Rendering Remembrance, uh, in which you are gonna be doing uh, headstone rubbings, for your World War II veterans. So you are, if you are in group one, you're gonna do that first. Give me, let me talk about both before we move anybody. And you're gonna follow Jim down to where you're gonna be doing your headstone rubbing. You're gonna take it home with you. So you have a headstone rubbing of the veteran you've been working on all this time. But they're also gonna show you how we do it with the students, because we don't expect them to figure out how to do it, but we're gonna make you figure out how to do it because you need to know how to do it and not have it all ready to go for you, right? For the other group, you're gonna come over here and you're gonna do handling history, military material. And we have uh, uh, one of our stu graduate students, Harrison, who works at the Kissimmee uh, uh, Military Museum. And he has brought a number of items for you to be able to look at and touch and talk about. He's gonna do a little bit of a presentation and you're gonna be able to look at what's there and we do have uh, a station normally where we do bring some of these items and the kids can put on a World War I gas mask, Ooh. right? And, and try things and touch things. So group two, you are now able to go over, follow your leader, whoever is groups two leader. How's your backstage all access pass of this meta field trip treating you thus far? Ready for more? Well, I hope you recharge during this break because we're about to get as close as you can physically get to this subject in a profoundly emotional and tangible way. We begin the final half of the field trip with the Rendering Remembrance Station, also known as the Headstone Rubbings. The two UCF VOP team members who led this station should sound very familiar to the frequent listeners of this nice history cast feat, although Dr. Lyons spoiled who one of them would be in the last soundbite. One of the leaders for the station was Sarah Boyd, whom I spoke with during the UCF Student Scholar Symposium about her exceptional research project in episode 34 of Knight's History Cast. Aside from UCF VOP, she's also a graduate history student at UCF. The other member, as Dr. Lyons spoiled, was Knight's History Cast mainstay, Jim Stoddard, who at this point has appeared in three episodes of this feed, 27 and 28 of Knight's History Cast, and of course, hosted episode two of this series, History versus Heritage. Jim, a PhD candidate at UCF's Texan Technology Program and a Marine Corps veteran, 
has been a fantastic regular to this podcast, so go check out those episodes to know more about him and his work. If you're unfamiliar with headstones slash gravestone rubbings, as I was before being at the station, a headstone rubbing is a method to preserve the inscription seen on graves by putting an interfacing paper over the headstone and using a special crayon to rub in the inscriptions on the stone to the paper. Some headstones do not stand the test of time. Thus, this is a beautiful way to preserve headstones, and specifically for our K-12 teachers, a powerful and metamorphic exercise as this gets them physically as close as possible to the human being that they've been working on for eight days. Jim opened the station with an explanation about the technique of this process, and Sarah then demonstrated to the K-12 teachers how to apply said technique by doing a headstone rubbing herself as an example. So there's two ways to secure it. Uh, you can use uh, blue painter's tape because it you know, doesn't leave the stickiness behind. Um, today, though, what we're going to encourage you to try and use are the rubber bands. Um, so you would, you know, she's going to demonstrate uh, how to do it, and then uh, you guys would do it yourself. But that's the, to secure it. And then what we have here are crayons. Melted down. You can get fancy ones. Yeah, They're made can, for grades. You can buy them that so way. So rubbing, but you don't have to. You can talk to your art teacher for all their leftover unusable crayons. I have for, 9 billion crayons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, black or dark color is best to use. Um, and then uh, you can uh, melt them down in uh, muffin pans. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, Silicone's come out like easier. that. Silicone is easier. So, Science yeah. project. There you go, there yeah. You go. Exactly. And then it comes out a little puck. Mm -hmm. And then um, you, you know, you think you might like that, but actually the best way to do it is with the edge and drawing uh, straight, even lines. Horizontal. Horizontal. Vertical across. tends to be weird. Yeah. And don't, don't go like wibbly wobbly. You can, can kind of see that if you think about that, how she okay. did yeah. it going down like that. So yep. I will demonstrate. So, okay. Yep. So if your eyes on Sarah. We'll just take this guy here. Fred. So Fred, this is not as long as it could be. Our other ones are a little longer, but I wanted to give you guys the option to do better. So you can take your... Bite with the wind. Yeah, bite with the wind a little bit. And if you use tape, I would encourage you to stick the tape to the fabric or stick the tape to other tape so you don't either lose it because sometimes the stones are damp and holding on to moisture and it won't stick anyway, or it will maybe damage the headstone possibly. Definitely don't want that. So I'm doing two so that'll hold it nice and snug. And in your national cemeteries. And you want to watch the feel, but this is going to be in the way for me. So I'm going to just it down a little bit. The headstones are all mostly going to be like that. This one's older, so it has some odd shapes and stuff like that. As Jim said at the end of the soundbite, older headstones at national cemeteries can have, quote, odd shapes. But most of the headstones present at national cemeteries are in the upright marble style that is iconographic with VA national cemeteries. As Sarah continued her demonstration, she shared with the K-12 teachers how this experience can be intrinsically rewarding. The kids are always so careful with this, and it's just really cute to see them oh, work I can together. See them going crazy with this. Yeah, and I like know. you tell them, like, okay, feel the letters, and it really gets them like tactily connected to what they're working on, which I think you guys will experience in a minute. And there'll be like a moment where you've been with your veterans. You're like, this is unconnected. Once Sarah finished her headstone rubbing example, the teachers were ecstatic to see the outcome, and more importantly, to do it themselves. That's beautiful. Perfect. Hi, Fred. And don't forget, you got your backs too, so if you've got a spouse, they're on the back, and you've got a number. Most of the time on the back, they're legible. Sometimes they're a little worn, but that's where you'll find oh, your... Oh, to put the number, the number on the other side. Finding veteran again. Oh, awesome. Okay, let's do Ready? this. Come and gather your supplies. Wow, get what an amazing activity. This one my kids will get into. Yeah, this one's a really popular one. The There's, older ones could do this too, though. 
Yeah, and this is good for it's good for any age really. They can all handle it to some level. Even if you have to right, even if you had two kids, you could have one, two kids work and you do half of it. And that's what we did with before is we had them preset and then they went in teams and they worked together. Okay, I was thinking about that so they don't have to. But it still was a good you know a good ten minute activity. I spoke with two teachers as they were doing their headstone rubbing to capture in real time how transformative it must be to get, as Sarah said earlier, quote, technically connected, end quote, with their veteran. Let's listen to what Alexis Wood, who was featured on this series two weeks ago on episode four, Bring This Person Back to Life, felt during this tremendously impactful exercise. I'm here with Alexis Wood, who I talked with yesterday. She was great on the podcast um, in the hotel room after hours. Right now, she's currently um, working on her veteran with the headstone, coloring it in. Just describe to me what you're feeling right now after being with this veteran for over a week. I guess what's most surprising is I'm feeling very emotional. It's a different type of connection than I've had thus far. It feels very real. And I hope that he's appreciating the presence and that I'm doing a good job on this. Hopefully. I think I really do think he is appreciating this. This is one of the most wholesome moments I think of the institute. Yes. Um, I I didn't think you know, I knew we were going to do this and I've never done it before. Um but I just didn't expect that I would feel so close to him in this moment. Like everything's becoming real. Right. You know? Right. And just Talk to me about the technique of doing this um, so our listeners could really understand since this is not a video podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, so we're rubber banding this uh, interfacing onto the gravestone. And then we're taking essentially a melted down crayon and we're doing horizontal strokes kind of lightly. You just want to get some color on it. And because the names and all the information is recessed, it shows up as a contrast. So then you can really see everything that's on the headstone and uh, you think your your students will enjoy this oh my gosh they would love this i don't know if they would feel as emotional as i do right now but i do think they would have so much fun with this anytime they can do something hands-on it just makes it so much more meaningful for them to connect makes the learning real Uh, So I know they would just love to do this. Right. And right now you are by the date? Yes. Um, I'm right by the information about his uh, squadron and that he was a World War II vet. So I'm at that part kind of toward the bottom of the, the headstone. I know yesterday during our podcast conversation, you talked a little bit about your veteran. But what are some things that... I guess my question is, what are some of your favorite things about the veteran you work with, you're working with? Um, I, one of my favorite things was that he was in a science club in high school. <laughs> That's nice. And I was too. So it uh, oh, wow. definitely, we talked about that human aspect. And, you know, we're talking all about the, the negatives because, of course, they've passed. Um, but just seeing them as who they were before they became a veteran, because that's important, too, is to recognize that these are people with families. These are people with they had interests and talents and it wasn't just that they served. And unfortunately for mine, because he was so young, he didn't really get to show all of his talents to the world beyond the immense one that he ended up um, giving us. But it's just kind of fun to get to know him a little better. 100%. And now this is this is your guy, right? This is my guy. He's mine now. Yeah, I claim him. That's awesome. And it's those details that 
ca- catch you by surprise uh, that, that they're so similar. Um, like they have similar aspects to what you've done before. Yes. I had something similar of that uh, when I was when I attended a Florida friend Solder Stories workshop. Uh, the the one that wasn't even I selected, just selected for me, mm-hmm. uh, had the same birthday as my sister, and I was like, wow. And from Miami, where I'm from too. Uh, so I yes. was just like, you know, it's those details that really again floor you and just make make it feel like this was a real person before you know their ultimate sacrifice definitely and i know mine was so young he was 19 and i just wonder you know what would he have gone on to do if he did enjoy science would he have you know become a scientist or pursued it he unfortunately didn't get a chance to have a wife and a family but you know thinking about what his legacy could have been um is interesting as well another new aspect to think about 100 percent. well alexis thank you again for talking with me and i'll let you uh finish and deal with your veteran thank you now let's listen to what Alicia Bryant, whom you've heard several times throughout this episode and who will be featured later in this series, said during her headstone rubbing. Hello, everyone. This is Sebastian Garcia, and we are currently at the St. Augustine National Cemetery. And I'm with Alicia Bryant, a teacher here that's part of the Institute. She's uh, finishing up, wrapping up her, her veteran coloring of the headstone. Alicia, just talk to me about what you felt while you were doing this, you know, after spending over a week with your veteran, you know, what, what what's the emotions going through your head? I kind of got emotional because, like, I spent a lot of time on Clarence and getting to know him and his family. So it's been kind of, like, I don't know, like, I, I, I kind of know him. Like, he's a part of my family. So kind of got emotional now talking about it. But it's pretty cool. So I, like, have a memento of my time with Clarence. 100%. And... Can you share with us some of the details about your, your veteran, some of the things that you found really interesting as you've been working with him throughout this week? Okay, so Clarence was a um, World War um, II vet. Um, he was in the Navy. He was a steward master first class. Um, he was um, originally interred in Oahu in Hawaii, but then was reinterred here at um, St. Augustine. Um, he wasn't in the military long. Um, he actually has a brother, an older brother, who actually served as well, um, but he's not here. Um, and then just learning about his father and his family. His sister married a vet or married someone that was eventually became a veteran. So his family was, you know, proudly serving their country. That's beautiful. And do you think uh, your your students will enjoy this aspect of the field trip? Oh, definitely. I, I teach civics. So this mm-hmm. would be something that they would truly, like, get into because it's hands-on. It's something they can actually see and take away. And my last question is just share with us like a little detail of your veteran that you were surprised to know. Uh, oh, that well, okay. So he lied about his age to get into to serve into the military. Wow. He um, told them that he was five years older than what he actually was, so that he could get um, into the draft, and eventually he got drafted. Wow, yep. that's awesome. Well, thank you, Alicia. I really appreciate it. Emotional. He's my guy now. I know him. He's a part of my family a memento, a different type of connection I've had thus far. These were the sentiments felt during such a powerful, beautiful, and riveting moment, not only by these two teachers, but by the entire cohort. You will hear next week what others felt about this station and the overall meta field trip during the roundtable discussion that took place inside St. Francis Barracks immediately after the field trip was over. To continue to be tactically connected with our veterans, Let's transition to the next station, Handling History, 
Military Material with Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith, a graduate history student at UCF, an archivist and co-curator at the Museum of Military History in Kissimmee, Florida, led this final station of the Meta field trip. He brought several military items, uniforms, helmets, divisional patches, medallions, postcards, photographs, from different wars and eras. As Harrison pointed out some of the items with a brief historical explanation, he also reminded the teachers how these items can be used in a classroom setting for their students. Again, the emphasis on pedagogy behind this meta field trip. But as I'm talking to you about these, think about and brainstorm how you might be able to use certain items like this within the classroom or how you can get your kids involved with, um, you know, di knowing different divisional patches or like the different helmets, the different gear. For example, that's like a good thing, you know, when you're talking to some of your students. And like I said, you guys can brainstorm ideas as we continue on with this. But uh, talking to a veteran may be a really good thing to kind of connect these items and make it more personable. This is something this in particular. Yeah, exactly. This is something in particular I wanted to show you guys is this is a Purple Heart medal. So a lot of the individuals, if not all of them, that you guys have been doing your work on, he'd be buried from World War II, they actually received this medal because um, a lot of the individuals that were actually killed in action would receive this. And just because you received the Purple Heart doesn't mean you died in service, but almost every Purple Heart is also engraved with the individual that it was awarded to. Oh, wow. So this is actually a one that was awarded to, I believe his name is Roland Winter. Uh, he, he served that's during- any division. Yeah, yeah so- Any branch or whatever. Exactly, yeah. Well, it's you, like across the board. Exactly. Okay. Then also, how do you think, or think about maybe how you'd use some of this stuff in the classroom, whether it's photos or having the actual items there. Uh, a big thing that I always find really interesting is talking about the divisional patches with, with students because the divisional patches can, can give a lot of insight into the different histories that these people went through when they served, you know? The teachers, as we've heard throughout this entire series and explicitly in this episode, showed a genuine and remarkable investment in the content and pedagogical pointers that were being given to them. And in this station, that energy continued. And this is the kind of dog tags they would wear in World War this, I? This is the type that they would wear. They were pressed aluminum. And if you can see all the different numbers and all the different letters that are on here, that every single one was individually hand stamped and hammered, okay. which is why if you ever look at World War I dog tags, they're never identical. There's never an exact standard to them because there was somebody pounding away pressed. at them. They exactly. were pressed. They were stamped. Okay. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So World War II, they used the same type of idea. They had two dog tags. So the whole idea was if somebody were to be killed in action or they were they died, you'd take one you'd leave one with the body so they would be, be identified the exactly because post or pre-world war one even pre-spanish-american war and you even see it in civil war there was a lot of cases where individuals would die and there was no way to identify they them. would put they would pin their names exactly. inside of their uniform yeah so like these guys right here you always know uh, with the vietnam era because usually their names are going to be in uh, green we also have korean war uniforms not on display here unfortunately but the korean war uniforms they're very similar to the vietnam and the world war ii uniforms but their names were actually written in white with gold so that's kind of how you can which one was white and gold uh, uh korea Korea. So that's how you can kind of tell the difference between the two. But you can see through the conflicts, they reused a lot of the surplus gear, which is why you see World War II helmets still being used during Vietnam era because they had made hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them, you know? Right. Well, and those are still very similar to this. Yeah. The well, newer one. So, yeah. So this guy's actually made of Kevlar. So these guys were all made of pressed steel, from my understanding. So they primarily were to be used against shrapnel. And this is more actual bullet. Yeah. Like, give it a hit. Give it a hit. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. So these guys are actually um, were, were standard issue during the 90s, and I believe they have a newer model that's at now. But this is what Jim and Sergeant Major both wore during their time period, and uh, Sergeant Major had said that uh, they're they're not 100% bulletproof depending on the caliber. So for example, like a standard 5.56, which is in a lot of modern platforms today, it could stop it if it was hit directly. But this still was uh, primarily used for shrapnel and artillery, uh, that type of stuff. Because it, it's the little things that can really get you, you right, know? Right. So, but yeah, more of a modern helmet, too. So. In these two stations, the teachers saw their work realized right before their eyes. The fact that these teachers were assiduously engaged and invested in their veterans for over a week produced surreal learning and personal connections that had not been established until this momentous moment in the Institute. The compound effect of layering these vivid activities with their week of learning and researching was tremendously enlightening for the teachers and made their veterans' presence feel incredibly palpable. Before returning to St. Francis Barracks, we gathered again at the Flagstaff for some final closing remarks about the Meadow field trip. Dr. Lyons closed the Meta Field Trip by introducing two final activities the teachers can do with their students when concluding a field trip to a national cemetery. We close by bringing the students back, we reflect, um, and we have one final activity before we send them on their way. And I want to actually talk about two possible activities that you could do with your students. Uh, the first is that um, these come from the Tallahassee Ambuts that they're, uh, they have someone who paints these and then they give them to folks who are interested in putting them on the headstone of someone in a national cemetery or someone who is in a community cemetery, cemetery but who served. Um, and so this is a great project um, that, where you could partner with an art teacher or you could do in your own class in advance and all of the students could paint a rock. The other thing that we do, so since the Roman times, people have left coins on headstones as a mark of respect. During the Vietnam War, this tradition really was revived in cemeteries, and there is a symbolism to the coin. So a penny is to show respect to someone that you don't know. You place the penny on the headstone, you say the name of the veteran out loud. If you uh, place a nickel or if you see a nickel on the headstone, it means that someone visited that did boot camp or training with that veteran. A uh, dime, they served with that veteran. And a quarter means that they were with them when they died. So you, can, you know who's been there and what they have done. So our last activity, which we do with the students, is we're going to ask you all to come up and get a couple pennies out of the bag and you can go to whatever headstones you wish say that person's name out loud i followed ryan dane rasmussen who you all heard two weeks ago on episode four to bring this person back to life as he placed a penny on a veteran's headstone let's listen to his thoughts during this final activity of the meta field trip this is the guy i've been researching for uh our mini tour oh, really? Rig, yeah. he's um the oldest member of the family um, I don't know if you remember the one that we were researching there, um, multiple generations oh. fought in multiple wars. Um, so John G. Rake is the father of, uh, of our next veteran, actually. And you just put the... George Rake. That's his dad? He is the son this. of John G. And as far as we understand, George... Um, don't have any children that we know of yet. 
if any. But he did have a brother, John H. Now, we don't believe he was a veteran, but John H. had multiple children, two of which are buried here, uh, over that way. Clark and Harold. They fought in World War II and Korea. And you just put a penny on top of the headstone. Can you um, describe what, what's the significance of that? I know of him. I've done research on him. I feel like uh, I got a little tidbit of his life. Um, it's kind of interesting. And that's the thing about history. You read about people that, you know, you're never going to meet. But you do it anyway because, you know, one day, one day that might be you. You know, somebody's going to be reading about you. Right. Um, and it's to honor and respect them and, you know, yeah. preserve their legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And right. when you, for anyone that listens if they ever do visit and you're going to come here and you're going to see that uh there's a lot of gravestones here with a lot of pennies on them yep a lot of pennies um sometimes you see more than a penny sometimes you see a nickel or a quarter um but people still come people still come no matter how old how far past these things go 100 percent. thank you ryan appreciate it thank you as we wrapped up dr lines prompted the group to share their reflections about the closing of the field trip before we start, do you have any suggestions for how you might end a cemetery uh, field trip or any um, comments about how we have chosen to end ours? We'll leave all those comments and suggestions for next episode, where everyone goes back inside the barracks to discuss their thoughts and takeaways from this meta field trip experience. As you will find out next week, this discussion would be immensely cathartic for everyone involved in this institute. Thank you for listening to me as I guided you through this meta field trip. If you felt even the slightest amount of the emotion expressed by the teachers during this trip and have a better appreciation of the work and processes done beyond the classroom walls to give you or your children an enriching educational experience, then consider this a successful and productive excursion in our broader pedagogical retreat in St. Augustine. Stay tuned for next week. Thank you. On the next episode of the 2023 UCF VOP Institute podcast series. I love the rubbings. Yes. That, yeah, was, that was, that was so, I, that felt so personal. They, they were touching them in a respectful way. And it was like a reveal, like, you know, you knew what the words looked like, but when you, when you were rubbing them out, they meant something so much more. That they came to life. Kind of that emotional, like, because you've been with this person all week. And then, like, it's kind of, not a culmination, but kind of, sort of you bringing like oh okay this person doing something because my person he didn't have a wife so he didn't have he didn't get to have a family so it was like kind of a personal moment for me you guys having that moment with your veteran was actually really touching for me to watch because you guys were all so emotionally involved and you, i could tell that you guys were like oh my god this is my guy like i finally am here with them and that was really cool like and i imagine you would have a similar feeling with your students um if you were to take them here and help them get set up and then watching them have that moment that was really cool when we were here last week it was like okay so let me find this person you know and today at least for me it was like a different excitement okay let, let me go find him let me go you know spend some time because I, I i know more about his life because of the work that we've been doing and i think with our students if we kind of preload some of this information they can also build that excitement as well and it would be more meaningful something i noticed with you uh, with you guys when you're out there doing the rubbings you may not have been aware, but many of you were sitting on the ground in a, in a very close, intimate way with the headstone. The only other people I've ever seen do that are family members 
and comrades that knew them in life and were with them as you know, they passed. So for a lot of these guys, like you mentioned, yours didn't have a wife or anything like that. Maybe no one's ever sat with them before. And you guys sat with them today you know, in a physical way that loved ones do. So that, that really struck me of looking around seeing that. I, I hadn't seen that in a way before. That was beautiful. You know, I, I joke, we OP, we make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have an added to that. Jim's daughter, do you make me cry? <laughs>